0: Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions.
1: Thank you very much for um, the excellent show. I am calling because Justin has been talking a lot about liking regional banks. So it made me wonder about Bank of Nova Scotia, which i have made money on in the past because of your recommendation
0: and provides unbiased answers
1: it doesn't get me too excited earnings in 2019 were seven dollars and 14 cents only supposed to make six dollars and 25 cents next year so they're not even returning to pre-crisis highs invest
0: over 35 million downloads and counting your participation makes it unique 888-99-CHART this podcast is produced by kpp financial steve peasley president kpp financial independent thinking
1: shared success and now today's podcast good afternoon fellow investors and welcome back to invest talk this is our october 18th 2021 edition of invest talk appreciate you all tuning in this hour and we're living in a very very interesting time, a lot of distractions. And there's a lot of information being thrown out at you every day. And you must decipher all of it figure out which is clickbait headlines, which was which data and information will help you make good decisions. And how to interpret all those data and headlines. And so now that we are into the fourth quarter, creeping up on the holiday season, it's time to reassess what does 2022 look like? 2021 is mostly behind us. And the market is basically priced in the economic realities of 2021. And the market's always looking three, six, nine months ahead. It's not looking at today. It's looking out going forward, and that's how you need to invest as well. Invest, use looking through the windshield, not the rearview mirror. And I am here to help you distill all this information and keep you focused on the road ahead. And so this hour, I'm going to operate with my mission statement. As always, which is independent thinking and shared success. And that means whether I'm talking about an individual stock, an investment strategy, a sector of the market, an asset class, I am here to present all without bias. I'm giving you the facts as I see them in front of me and using the perspective of over 20 years of investment experience. So I'm Justin Klein, and of course, I encourage you to contact me with your finance and investment questions. And when you do, you get to shape this show to your liking. And so I encourage you to reach out right now during our live stream program, 4 to 5 Pacific Time. Or if you're listening after hours, you can leave a message on our Best Talk Voice Bank. Either way, that number never changes. 888 chart So let's get to our first listener question now. Hello, Justin or Steve, Chris from New York. Just had a
0: question about CRISPR, ticker CRSP. It's been in a
1: decline i've been looking to edit to my portfolio want to get your thoughts on the company and a good entry point thank you bye all right this is CRISPR tech crisper therapeutics excuse me and they are out of germany and uh, i'm sorry switzerland switzerland and it develops it's a developer of gene-based medicines for serious disease and it uses its CRISPR technology where Uh, basically can splice the DNA and put in new genetic code. It's very innovative, and their business suddenly is very strong. Um, They had sales of $900 million last quarter, record, earnings of $9.44, but that's one quarter. And earnings this year is supposed to be $4.28, but then losing again a record $6.95 next year. And it looks like this company does that. 2019, they made $1.17, lost $5.29 last year. So they're all over the place with their cash burn. Um, I'd have to dig into the details of this, but my main distillation of the data is that this is a money-losing operation that has interesting technology, but that has not been able to make it commercially viable. And you have a market cap here of $7.3 billion. It's in a downtrend. And until that downtrend abates, I'm going to hold off on this. Now, the big question is, where would major support be? And I'm going to tell you there's a couple levels. One is about $85. Now it's at 96, spot 21 to close today. But a major level where I'd be interested in this name, is around $75. That would be major support, technically. Now, you'd really have to be buying into uh, DNA, the 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 trend here in DNA sequencing and the therapeutics that could be developed with these technologies. I'm not sold. We're there yet. But longer term, there probably will be uh, some great innovations out of this. So you would need to have very, very long term time horizon, uh, a high, high, high ability to take risk and handle volatility. And then you could buy it and have it a small percentage of your portfolio. Another way to do it is there are some broader base ETFs that are focused on genomics, and that's probably the safer way to play this space, but if you really love this particular company, that 75 level, that's an area that would be interesting for me, but not until then. Thanks for the call. Now, my focus point today is based on the story behind this headline. Home builder sentiment bounces back despite ongoing supply chain problems. Home builders nationwide aren't seeing any relief from supply chain issues that have slowed the construction recently, but high buyer demand appears to be making up for it. So we're to look we're gonna look at that story. Also, productivity. This is something little discussed, but a very, very important part of our economy. And it's Complex to really compute, I think for a lot of people to understand. But with high inflation, the best way to keep up with that inflation and the living standards, if you have high inflation, is to have productivity continue to be strong. And we're going to talk about the drivers of that and what that might look like going forward. And then I want to talk about here in California, we're looking, we're struggling to replace potential loss of energy and where that might replacement might come from. And then lastly, if we have time, we'll dig into the winter, gas bills coming here in the winter and what that might look like. So. That's ultimately what's on my mind, but I want to hear what's on your mind. So, 8899 chart is how you get through to ask your question on today's show. Now, let's uh, touch on the market today. The S P was up fifteen points after a modest, uh, it's a modest fall through from last week's uh, pretty robust bounce that we saw on Thursday. The N Y C—that's what I'm looking at. That was down nine point seven points. Right below its 52-week high, and that's the one that uh, is, has been in a, a broad, broad trading range since April, really, between about 16,000 and 16,000, called 17,000, 16 and 17,000. Now we're at 16,862. If we can break out above that level, around 16,900, 17,000 on the NYSE, then that would be... To me, a clear breakout. Uh, Now, the underlying indicators aren't showing a ton of strength to confirm that. But price is the ultimate indicator. You can look at all the sub-indicators and moving averages that you want. But if price breaks out, it's a breakout. Could be a fake breakout, a weak breakout. But a breakout is a breakout. But we're not there yet. We're at the high end of the range since April. Now, is that a broadening top or a consolidation period? Another thing that needs to be resolved by the market. And so I'm watching those few things uh, on t- in today's market. You have the 10-year. That was up about one basis point, so near the high end of its uh, range over the past couple of weeks. Continue to kind of grind higher on interest rates. Not a shock there. You have the dollar roughly flat today. The commodity market, that took a bit of a setback. Um, So while energy has been on a tear, I'm starting to see signs that we're uh, near-term overbought. Now, that probably brings a buying opportunity in the medium term. Uh, But understand that's kind of what I'm starting to see. Some relative weakness there. The XLE only up 4 cents today. Very, very modest move there. So that was my assessment of the market today. Not a firm conviction on uh, the potential breakout. Uh, still wait and see till probably the end of this week, probably the end of the month. Here are in Invest Talk, and at my company, KPP Financial, we operate with philosophy of independent thinking and shared success. Where Steve and I are always happy to explain our methodology and why it works so well. And you can send us a message through InvestTalk.com anytime. But for now, the phone lines are open and we're taking your calls live at 8899 chart
0: no two investors have an identical portfolio Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Hi, Duncan from New York.
1: I have a quick question about my own company that I work for. My company, Lifetime actually just IPO'd, their stock ticker is
0: LTU, Lifetime Holdings. Sadly, I didn't get any stock options uh, from what I've been researching, which is kind of a bummer.
1: But my question is, what do you guys think about this company? Just curious to know of like the PE ratios and everything like that.
0: And a company like this in terms of in the stock market, would it thrive well
1: in the inflation period? I'm assuming not, but just would like your uh, two cents on how well a stock like this, the fitness industry, would do in the inflation area. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Bye. All right, looking at Lifetime Group Holdings, and sounds like you work at Lifetime. I'm actually a Lifetime member myself. We have one here locally, and um, and we go there, and it's a— I like it. I I'd go to yoga there every every Wednesday after the show, and it's a it's the the question though is is it a good investment? And it's a recent IPO, so as you probably know, if you listen to the show any length of time, recent IPOs tend to be pretty overpriced and uh, not great purchases uh, immediately, especially uh, after the six month lockup period, where uh, a lot of insiders tend, tend to sell. Now, historically, this uh, it's interesting. Lifetime's been around a long time, but the data that I see only goes back to 2018, where 2019, they made $0.15 cents a share. 2018, they made $0.20 cents a share, a $16 stock. In uh, 2020, they lost a bunch of money, but that's to be expected. They had a lot of closures, and 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 you can't expect them to be profitable then. But 2018 and 19 they burned capital. Free cash flow was negative for both years. Return on equity was negative for both years. And it's just, frankly it's a very difficult business and in an inflationary environment where labor is tough, you have to pay your your front desk workers more, your, um, your instructors more. Uh, There, there's more demand on having digital um, digital offerings. I know our yoga teachers have to do some online classes each week. I believe uh, we're even now. We have uh, Apple Fitness Plus, which I'm sure Lifetime's paying for that as well. So really, it's a very competitive space. And while their clubs are good, there's very low switching costs in uh, the economic sense. Cancel your membership and go sign up. I used, I've been I've been a member of Equinox, uh, another one locally, Renaissance uh, here in Southern California. So and now Lifetime. So three in the past, uh, call it 10 years or so. And it's just based on my needs, where I was living, my schedule, where um, I could play basketball or do yoga, things like that. And it's just so easy to switch. And so the the cost is very, very low. Um, and it's just a difficult business. So uh, being a recent IPO, historical, poor profitability, and, and just a, a very difficult industry, I just don't, like this name, I'm going to pass on a lifetime holdings, but like the product. I'm a member there. Now, you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. And for investors, the need to remain vigilant never ends. So, you will have finance and investment questions, and I will have answers. So, we're taking your calls live at 888 99 chart.
0: The stock market is volatile. It's constantly changing, so how are you positioned? Is your portfolio properly balanced, or are you taking unnecessary risks? You can get guidance anytime for free if you go to investtalk.com and take the brief Riskalyze quiz.
1: Let's head over to Sam in Dallas. He's looking at Stone Stone Co. Limited. You own it or looking to buy it?
0: I'm looking to buy it, Justin. Thank you for taking my call. I really like your show, regular listener. Here. But I've been hearing a lot of buzz about this talk, You know, which is into e-commerce and digital payments. I think mostly in Brazil area where you know they are uh, yet to be accessing internet like the way we do. So there's a lot of, I think, growth there. And this specific company is into multiple areas to to give end-to-end solution on digital platforms and all that. So I wanted to just see what's your take on this stock. Is it a good stock as far as its uh, future is concerned?
1: All right, well, looking at Stone Co. Limited, this is a Brazilian company, and what they do is they provide financial technology solutions. So it's a business model combines advanced and end-to-end cloud-based technology platform, that helps comp, uh, companies empower merchants and integrated partners to conduct electronic commerce uh, in-store, online, through mobile channels, uh, mainly in Brazil. And that's the first risk there is you have risk of the Brazilian real and whether that's uh, going to be strong or weak. Now, with commodity prices going up and oil prices going up, that tends to be good for the Brazilian Real, but that hasn't been that great recently. Brazil, EWZ is down uh, from 41 all the way to 33 over the past uh, few months. So hasn't been good for uh, the Brazilian market and the Real so far, but typically that is. So longer term, I see some tailwinds there, Uh, but the business model that they run is... Not good. Uh, their return on equity has been negative 2016 and 17. And since then, it's only been kind of around the 10% range, which is still pretty modest. Um, their balance sheet is pretty good, but they are burning a, a lot of cash. And they're issuing a lot more shares. They continue to uh, 2018 they had 234 million shares outstanding. Now they have 310 million shares outstanding. So it's a pretty uh, sizable increase over just the last few years. So that worries me a bit. Now earnings are expected to go from 45 cents this year to 93 cents next year, which it would be an all-time high. Uh, but this is a business whose profits are all over the place. 2016 made 13, 2017, it made 6 cents, 2018 it made 32 cents, 2019, 76, then 64 last year, and 45 cents this year. That's down 30% from last year, right? So you're seeing a lot of whipsaw in profitability, but that's also why the stock is down dramatically, down 61% from its 52-week high. And the question is, is that overdone? Well, market cap's 11 billion on very modest sales, about what's that? 700 million trailing 12 months. So it's still not trading at a cheap multiple. Enterprise value value to revenue is 18 times on a company who's struggling to remain profitable. So I will say technically, yes, on Friday, you had a pretty sizable move up on volume above the 20 day moving average, but it still remains in a downtrend. Now that, that is some life that you did get some up move on volume, uh, but it needs to close above the 50 day for sure. uh, And ideally the hundred day moving average, because that's where it found resistance back in June. Overall, I just don't love it. It doesn't get me too excited uh, based on the history and the inconsistency of the growth and the profitability, and so I'm gonna pass on it until I can see some more consistent profitability out of this name. Uh, but I do like that it's in Brazil. That you're you're kind of uh, looking at a name that is, I won't say off the beaten path, but in a good secular trend because. The cloud platforms are not just here in the U.S. That, that trend is not just a U.S.-centric thing. It's going to happen all over the world. And this is a name that looks like a leader in Brazil. Uh, but they're still struggling with that profitability. And that's why it makes me not like, very excited. Now, my focus point today is based on the story behind this headline. Home builder sentiment bounces back despite ongoing supply chain problems. And builder confidence in the month of October rose four points to 80. Now, that's still down from October of last year, which was at 85, and the record high of 90 in November of last year. But anything above 50 is positive. So 80 is still very, very strong. And this is despite seeing continued problems with supply chain issues that have slowed construction as of late. But they're saying buyer demand remains very strong. Current sales conditions rose 5 points to 87. Sales expectations for the next six months increased 3 points to 84. And buyer traffic climbed 4 points to 65. Their biggest concern continues to be affordability. And they're raising prices to meet the cost of land, labor, materials, etc. And that means the median cost of a newly built home sold in August was 20% higher than August of 2020. And home builders are turning more and more to these new constructions because the supply of existing homes remains incredibly low because of mortgage and rent moratoriums. Now, the forecast from the Mortgage Bankers Association is that mortgage rates will go from 3% today to 4% by the end of next year because of Fed action. And that would really change the dynamic of profitability. Now would it turn it into a profitability situation that was sorry, affordability situation that was dire that would create a housing crash? Not so sure about that. But uh, it would change the dynamics because the cost of financing would go up by 25%. So that's what we're seeing in the market right now. We're going to a break. So give me a call at 888-99 chart. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? Stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at hackerone.com. That's h-a-c-k-e-r-o-n-e.com. Hackerone.com.
0: No two portfolios are alike, and every investor has a unique set of circumstances. So don't forget to call InvestTalk. Eight eight eight
1: ninety nine 99 chart Hi, Steve and Justin.
0: I have a two-part question today, which the first part is looking forward to the next year and the market as it stands right now. Can you let us know some industries that might do well in the next coming months or a year? And the second part of the question is considering that, would you recommend now is a good time to start rebalancing into those industries or are things just a bit too volatile right now to be making any major moves would love to hear your thoughts on that and i will listen on the show thanks so much bye bye all
1: right well here's the 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 issue is a, a shorter term it's always very difficult to say these are these are going to outperform over the next one month two months three months um but I can say, based on the economic backdrop, commodities, uh, energy uh, are likely to continue to do well, although uh, energy is probably in the near term uh, a bit overbought, You're seeing a lot of headlines, a lot of over, overly bullish sentiment. But the structural issues in the energy market uh, remain, and so I do expect higher prices uh, over the medium to long term. Now, what that means short term is always difficult to know. Um, I never say that it is never a bad time to be allocating towards sectors and areas of the market that uh, are attractive over the medium and long term. Um, you know, you're never going to find the right bottom, the, the, the exact time to, to make a, that transition. Uh, it's really about setting a plan, uh, an asset allocation strategy, uh, and continuing to allocate towards that on a consistent basis. Uh, trimming positions that you uh, might not want anymore um, and moving and allocating towards uh, the positions that have better medium and long-term prospects. Uh, Once again, energy, financials, uh, other types of commodities. um, I do think agriculture uh, is an area that should be allocated towards because inflation is likely persistent across the economy. Industrials, as we spend a lot of money domestically on infrastructure and stimulating our economy through government expenditures, those are sectors that will likely continue to do well. Now, there are other ones like utilities that focused on green energy. Those will continue to, those will probably do well. Uh, there are technology companies typically more in the medium to small cap names, not necessarily your large cap names that will likely grow, uh, much faster than those bigger cap names and have a much more room for multiple expansion, et cetera. But you have to be very specific with that exposure. So there's always opportunities. Um, you know, it's always hard to say this sector and you buy any name in that sector, you're going to do well. Uh, but there is a strong correlation to sector strength and how well you're do, you'll are you do with the uh, underlying position you might own within that particular sector. So I like that you're thinking in that sense that the broad sector is what you want to have exposure to, and, and that's that top-down analysis. That's what we do for clients. We look at the broad economy, uh, inflation, and what, uh, what is going to have headwinds versus tailwinds, depending on that economic backdrop. And you allocate, obviously, more to the sectors that have more tailwinds than, than headwinds. For example, higher interest rates means headwinds for utility companies because they tend to be bond proxies. One example. But doesn't mean you ignore the space entirely. You just limit your exposure to only the best of breed, the ones that have other things like – uh tailwinds from green energy deployment and and um, uh, regulation in the state etc uh that is beneficial all of that so you never you always want to overweight and underweight never eliminate anything entirely and make sure that you start there start with that top-down analysis and then you find the individual names that fit your broad asset allocation strategy so great question and hopefully that helped give you a bit of perspective now With that perspective, let's talk a bit about California. Um, A lot of our listeners are here in California, and this story is California-focused, but it's going to apply to, I think, almost every state over the coming decades. And what's happening here in California is that we're racing to secure a large amount of power over the next few years to replace fossil fuel, mainly natural gas, and nuclear facilities that are expected to close down over the next five years. And that's losing about 10% of the electricity generated in the state. Now, the California Public Utility Commission has ordered utilities to buy tons of renewable energy and battery storage as the state phases out for nuclear, for natural gas fire power plants and the Diablo Canyon nuclear plant as well starting in 2024. Now, this is ordering companies like PG&E, Edison International to bring on more than 14,000 megawatts of power. That's a lot. And move that to the green to, to green energy and storage capacity to supply its customers over the coming years. And that's about a third of the state's forecast for peak summer demand, 14,000 megawatts. The problem here is that it's showing to be more difficult to bring on that level of capacity. And at what cost? They still don't even know. That's still being procured, procured and figured out. Now, the California law passed in 2018 requires the state to decarbonize its power grid by 2045. And there have been some challenges to this, mainly weather. It's been hotter than normal, and the drought has constrained things like power generation, hydroelectric power from the Hoover Dam, for example. Now, Diablo Canyon has been opposed by anti-nuclear activists. And before, it was, the agency was saying that they need to make upgrades. PG need to make upgrades to its seismic enhancements to make it more resilient against a, 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 an earthquake or something like that. But now they're saying that's not necessary. But they're still planning on closing it, and that provides it combined 2,250 megawatts of electricity that is now set to close one reactor in 2024 and the other in 2025. They're also expected to close four gas-powered power plants here in Southern California on the coast that supply more than 3,700 megawatts of power. It was supposed to be closed but uh, last year, but they extended it because of electricity shortages. And that's the issue here, is that it continues There continues to be this plan to shut down fossil fuel and nuclear power in in, in exchange for green. But they clearly don't have a plan on how that's actually going to be done. Because they keep pushing back the closures of these plants. And guess what? I can almost guarantee they're going to push back the closure of the nuclear plant as well. Why? Because the cost of bringing on these new sources of energy have not even been determined. So how do they know that it's even economical, that it's even doable? When you don't know how much going to cost, where it's going to come from. And when they do deploy it, the cost is going to be passed on to the citizens. So will residents be able or willing to pay the extra cost to bring on these newer sources of energy? Will there be a backlash? Maybe there won't be in California because we're more of a a green-focused state. But other states? We shall see. But this is just one example of how this transition to green energy has just not been thought out well. A, a, A viable plan without causing an energy crisis has not been developed. And that's why you're likely to see an energy crisis. Now let's pivot back to the Invest talk Voice Bank for a question that came in earlier from a listener in California. Hello, my name is Paige Burgess, calling from Sunnyvale, California. Thank you very much for um, the excellent show. I am calling because Justin has been talking a lot about liking regional banks, so it made me wonder about Bank of Nova Scotia, which I have made money on in the past because of your recommendation. Looking back at my notes, that is not a regional bank and. Not like it right now, but I just wanted to get your feedback on Bank of Nova Scotia in this current climate. Thank you very much. All right. She's correct. Bank of Nova Scotia is not a regional bank. It is one of the largest banks in Canada. And they do have operations in other countries, Central and South America as well. Very large company, market cap of $70 billion. And revenues trailing 12 months down 8% last quarter. Earnings expected to grow 13% this year, only 3% next year. Get a nice 4.4% dividend. Been trading in a consolidation phase, really, over the past year. And that's why I would say it doesn't get me too excited. Earnings in 2019 were $7.14. Only supposed to make $6.25 next year. So they're not even returning to pre-crisis highs. And the Canadian economy is heavily weighted towards the The housing sector, there's kind of a mini bubble there. Um, Now, what that looks like with government policy and how long they they keep it up, we shall see. Uh, The positives would be their economy is heavily natural resource focused. So as you continue to see oil and natural gas along with other mineral, excuse me, mineral prices going higher, that will benefit the Canadian dollar, the Canadian economy and a bank that lends a lot to that economy now they do operate in forty countries all over the world, but they are focused in Canada so this would be more of an international bank exposure. They are large but not as large as you know the J P. Morgan's Bank of Americas of the world so uh, it's kind of a high it's kind of in the middle between a regional and a a large domestic multinational bank um but it is still pretty big. And so I think it's okay. I like that it's Canada, it's Canadian focused, but I would rather have a regional bank here in the U.S. over it, but it's still a good company. Now I think it's worth time to take a minute and make you aware of the benefits of working with myself and Steve Peasley at our company, KPP Financial, based in Irvine, California. Now, let will remind you that here on Invest Talk and in our company, KPP Financial, we operate with the philosophy of independent thinking and shared success, which means we provide unbiased guidance both on and off air. We practice parallel investing, meaning we invest right alongside our clients. So I encourage you, if you need help with your strategy, understanding your goals, and whether you're able to meet them based on your financial situation, based on the way you're invested, please reach out to us via InvestTalk.com or Call our KPP Financial Offices in Irvine, California at 800 557 5461. We will do a free assessment of your portfolio, your strategy via telephone or go to meeting. We can help you in any way we can. We would love to help you. So reach out to us, please. Stay where you are. We have another caller question coming up in one minute.
0: Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. And Steve and Justin, thank you for your loyalty. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for InvestTalk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Eight 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 ninety nine
1: 99 chart. Hello, Invest Talk. This is Enrique from San Diego. My question is UEC Uranium Energy Corporation, a good buy right now. Thank you very much, and I look forward to your answer in the podcast. All right, looking at UEC Uranium Energy Corp. And you know, I like uranium. I, I think uh, the transition to green energy. Uh, is overly optimistic on their ability to transition in the near term and to have reliable baseload power, it's going to need to come from nuclear. End of story. I don't care what anyone says. If you look at the numbers, you cannot viably get to a fully green economy without an energy crisis, without investing in carbon-free baseload power like nuclear. End of story. Um, And so it's going to uh, you've seen that in Europe, uh, countries in Europe, uh, even parties that are typically not very nuclear uh, pro nuclear are are turning that way. Uh, Some of them are even typically anti nuclear. And now they're turning, quote unquote, neutral, saying that uh, nuclear can be classified as a a renewable technology. And they're just saying you cannot replace, it's, it's extremely difficult to replace the energy density of fossil fuels and uranium. Uh, no green technology can match anywhere close to them. And nuclear is the only one that doesn't produce any CO2. And so I see that as a trend. Now the problem here with Uranium Energy Corp is that this is an exploration company. They're, they're still developing. And I don't like those. I want a company that has cash flows, that has actual production. This isn't one. They don't have any revenue. This is all about the story. And I want companies that actually can source and produce actual uranium and sell it into the market. This is not one of those names. So I'm passing on Uranium Energy Corp. I like the space, but not this one. This is Invest Talk. We're heading into our final break. So give us a call at eight 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 ninety nine 99 chart
0: InvestTalk is here to help. And when you download the free Invest Talk podcasts, don't forget to rate and review. The phone lines are open, 888-99-CHART. Hey Steve, my name's Nick, calling from Oregon in the USA, even though I've got an English accent. But uh, yes, looking at some English stocks actually, looking at Rolls Royce, R-Y-C-E-Y. Looks pretty low right now, like a couple of bucks and normally it was trading around 10 or 11 dollars but they've got some news out that they they're doing they've got some new contracts government contracts with i think i believe australia etc but uh, i just wanted to get your review on that Uh, it looks like a good investment right now because it's still pretty low thanks cheers
1: all right looking at rolls royce this is r y c e y is the symbol and this is a company out of, let's see, where's Royals Royce? So UK, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, yep. So this is, hmm, let me see this here. Obviously, it's core business segment, civil aerospace, power systems, and defense. So they build engines for wide-body aircrafts, uh, regional business jets, typically, and that's where my issue is, is that uh, if you're traveling less for business, how many people are buying private jets? If you're having a crackdown on the wealthy globally, which uh, you know we're seeing uh, how much how many of them are gonna be buying private jets? Uh, business travel in general is main subdued and will likely be subdued for some time. And that worries me. Uh, a lot of bit. Um, now the profitability has looks like it's come down, but it's it's rebounding well. Um, so I like that that their EBITDA trailing twelve months now looks to be close to two thousand seventeen levels. So five point four billion market cap of sixteen billion enterprise value of twenty billion. Uh, it's enterprise value to revenues is about 1.3, which is historically very cheap. Uh, so technically, or fundamentally, I like it. Technically it has recently moved above its 50 week moving average. I like that. It's been consolidating. Um, so I'm going to give this a thumbs up. I like the foreign exposure. I don't love, uh, where it's at. I think it's going to, going to struggle to, um, rebound, but, their products are still in demand and they're rebounding from a fundamental perspective quite well, uh, despite the headwinds from business travel. So, I'm going to give this a thumbs up on Rolls Royce. 8899 chart, 88992 4278 is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Now, let's touch a bit on productivity. We don't talk about this a lot, but there's Renewed hope that despite inflation going up, productivity could save us from a lower standard of living. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, let's say, yes, inflation is going up. I mean, the inputs for goods and services are going up. With the cost of the raw materials, the cost of the labor, all those are going up. But if workers can produce more than the rise in inflation, then the end output is actually higher. For example, you run a restaurant. And yes, you need to pay your workers 5% more than you did before. But guess what? You need 10% less workers because you've invested in technology. Or some equipment that makes life easier for them. And therefore, they can serve just the same amount of customers, but with 10% less labor. That means they don't have to raise prices on your food at the restaurant. Okay? So that's an example of why productivity can be a saver for the economy. And if you look at CapEx, it's been, since the financial crisis, it's been depressed. But we recently, in June, hit an all-time high record for CapEx from in the economy. And that's the positive here, is that if that continues and workers can be more productive because they have more up-to-date equipment, better technology, then the cost of your good and service doesn't have to go up just because they're getting paid more. And that's actually the best thing, where the workers are getting compensated more, but you, the end consumer, isn't having to pay more because of it. And so that's why CapEx in the economy is a vital, vital thing, and it needs to continue to go up, and that trend is higher. So that's a good thing. I'm Justin Klein with another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family members about our free podcast downloads, now over 35 million. Get yours anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play, and be sure to rate and review. And if you leave a question on your review, we will prioritize your answer. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night.
0: Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. Invest Talk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor.